Now, before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about another great podcast that explores the human relationship with the natural world. Threshold is a Peabody award-winning podcast that dives into the intersections of science, politics, and culture. You'll hear fascinating conversations with leading environmental thought leaders like J. Drew Langham, Peggy Shepard, and Bill McKibben. This week's episode features acoustic ecologist Dr. Michelle Fournay, who studies how marine organisms like humpback whales use sound. You can hear this and all other Threshold episodes wherever you get your podcasts. What's up and welcome to another episode of 52 Hertz, the Lonely World podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Jones. Today, my guest is Dyson Chi, founder of Project Ocean Hawaii and an Ocean Heroes Bootcamp alumni. Growing up in Hawaii, Dyson has always felt a deep connection to the ocean. And it's been alongside me as long as my family has been alongside me, as long as my friends have been alongside me. So it's a key part of who I am today. Dyson challenges what we think about young people and their role in ocean conservation, politics, and beyond. In fact, Dyson challenged what Dyson thought about young people. I really didn't think that there was anything else I could do. And that was because I was a kid. We'll talk about his climate journey and how it transformed him into a vocal advocate for the implementation of Bill 40, one of the nation's most stringent single-use plastic bans. Welcome to 52 Hertz, the Lonely Well podcast. But first, some good news from around the reef. Suntan lotion becomes sunban lotion, and yes, that joke was corny as hell and hurt me on the inside to say, but it is a trend we can all get behind. Chemicals in common sunscreens have been found to manipulate coral DNA, which means corals don't grow properly and are more susceptible to bleaching. But in January of this year, the island nation of Palau became the first country in the world to ban sunscreens dangerous to the reef. And in case that wasn't enough good news for you, a bill banning harmful sunscreens in the US Virgin Islands went into effect just this past March. And by 2021, reef-killing sunscreens will be banned in Dyson's home state of Hawaii, as well as the Caribbean island of Bonaire and Key West in Florida. So Dyson, thank you so much for being here, man. Welcome. Thanks, Patrice. Thank you so much for having me. When was it that you started to realize that plastic was a, a problem? Finding out that plastic pollution was a problem didn't really come to me in one single moment. It was really built up over time. Every time you go into the ocean, you expect to see things like fish or turtles, corals. But as time went on, I started realizing that I was seeing other things. And at first, I thought to myself, it's just a chip wrapper. It's just it's a plastic fork. What, what harm can it do? As time went on, I started realizing these plastic items were becoming more and more apparent. You notice, for example, the nets on the corals. The corals that are underneath the nets are dying. And that's just something you can't really ignore. So I did a little more research um, and realized that plastic pollution wasn't just a problem here locally for me, but that it was a global issue that people all around the world were having to tackle. So how did that make you feel then to see that now on a global scale? I mean, it's, to be quite honest, sometimes it's depressing to realize that we as humanity are fueling destruction of one of the most beautiful places in the world, that we are you know, smothering our own homes and our own backyards with our trash. But at the same time, it's really shown how resilient we can be as humans. And seeing the collaboration and the connections that this problem has made really goes to show for me that we shouldn't just treat it as another obstacle that we have to hurdle over, but to treat it as an opportunity for us 
to get to connect with each other and to build the better world that we want to see. We talk about this a lot, the idea of how we need to reframe in our minds the way we look at these things that are happening in the world because it's very easy to be quickly overwhelmed by these problems and and the eco-anxiety and all these other things start to set in and it's easy enough to turn the other cheek and pretend that it's not happening because it's all a bit too big. But how did you actually get involved and start making an actual step once you learned these things? At the very beginning, I really thought that the only thing I could do to take on the issue of plastic pollution was beach cleanups and changing my personal lifestyle. So, you know, avoiding the use of plastic straws, for example. I really didn't think that there was anything else I could do. And that was because I was a kid. And I always thought that, okay, well, as a kid, there's only so much you can do. It feels like you're handicapped when it comes to doing things that a lot of adults do. It feels like you're very limited in what your options are. So in my mind, I thought, I'll go ahead and help out with some of the beach cleanups. I'll go ahead and you know, try to reduce the amount of plastics I'm using. And that's it. So how did Ocean, Ocean Heroes Boot Camps change your perspective of what you were actually capable of doing as a young person? Well, Ocean Heroes Boot Camp, right? You know, I'm going to this boot camp thinking, oh, cool, I'm going to learn about plastic pollution. And I went there and it blew my mind. That's the, that's the only way I can describe <laughs> it. Um, I was just so incredibly amazed and inspired, not just by what a lot of the adults there were doing, but primarily by what the kids there were doing, people who are my age or younger than me, who are actively taking on plastic pollution back in their homes. And they weren't just doing it through beach cleanups, but they were helping to change other people's lifestyles. They were helping to pass legislation and doing education, working with businesses to make that change happen. And as young people, you have a certain kind of power. It's a very special power that's unique to you. And so I think understanding that being young isn't a disability. I feel like youth, we understand that we have something very great at stake here. Um, I mean, adults, a lot of them are doing this for their children, for the things and people that they love. But for us, it's very real. It's not just real, it's also now for us. If we don't make a difference now, then what's going to hit us in the future is going to be much worse. So that gives us more incentives to collaborate, to work together, to get as many people on board as we can. And so after the boot camp, I just came away so inspired that I decided I'm going to create a project, a project where I tackle the issue of plastic pollution through education and activism. And that's the birth of Project Ocean Hawaii. Right. So tell us, tell us what is Project Ocean then? So Project Ocean Hawaii, it's my personal initiative and how I take on plastic pollution is through the venues of education and activism. So on the education side, I primarily do presentations at schools, a lot of community outreach. And the primary goal is not just teach people why plastic pollution is a problem, but more so what the solutions are. That's something that a lot of people don't really know where to turn to on the activism side. That's really more so about implementing systematic changes within our communities. So it involves passing legislation, getting community members civically engaged, and just really bringing the community into the actions that the governments take. 
So that way, these solutions that we're coming up to plastic pollution are equitable solutions and solutions that the community has worked hard to get past. You guys done something pretty unbelievable with Bill 40. Um, so I really want to hear what Bill 40 is and what it means for, for Hawaii. Absolutely. Bill 40, and I know to anyone listening to this, you might be like, ah, oh, bills, numbers, I hate it. <laughs> Bear with me. Bear with me. It's a good bill. <laughs> oh, most definitely. So Bill 40, <laughs> um, it's a bill that would phase out a variety of single-use plastics, and it's quite comprehensive. It includes styrofoam, polystyrene, plastic cups, plastic utensils, plastic straws. I didn't even know what this was until I read Bill 40. These things called barren, which is the little green grass-looking thing that they have in sushi containers. Oh, yeah. This is how comprehensive it is. I was a bill at the Honolulu City Council, and they have jurisdiction over the entire island of Oahu. We have been trying to pass this legislation for, who goodness knows, maybe a decade at the state level. People had yeah, just been banging their heads against the wall trying to get just a ban on styrofoam just a ban on plastic straws, just a ban on utensils passed, all separately, all individually, to more or less no avail. And so what you can imagine that when people found out about Bill 40, a lot of people were very skeptical that it was going to pass. The industry, both the plastic and the food industry, had very, very strong opposition to it. It kind of hit this halfway point and my thought, at least, was that the industry realized, holy smokes, this bill might actually pass. We can't let that happen. And when that happened, then we really faced really hard industry pushback. And we were wondering, is this where Bill 40 is going to die? And we decided that's not going to happen. This is a bill that's protecting our future, protecting the place that we call home. We can't let it just die. And so we organized the youth movement. We got hundreds of youth to testify via um, written testimony. Dozens of youth actually came out in person to the testimony. And really, the council members told us if it wasn't for the youth who really rose up and showed them the, the moral reason for passing this legislation, not just because it's important, not just because of money, not just because of economics, but for the simple reason of protecting the future and the lives of future generations, that we, we were the reason why they passed the legislation. We were really their guiding star that showed them the path that they should be taking to pass Bill 40. And so Bill 40 is now officially law. It's going to be taking effect in 2021. And yeah. Yeah, it is uh, unbelievable. For, and you're sorry, you're how old? I don't think I asked you this at the start. I think it seems more... Uh more interesting and more prevalent now than ever. How old are you? 18 now. Um, 18. feel much older. So you were 17 when this took place or? Yep. Ridiculous. What have I been doing with my life? What does that teach you as, as Dyson? What, is, what do you learn from that about you as a, as a young man, as an individual, what you're actually able to do? It's taught me, it's taught me first of all, the, the power of youth. I never really thought that I could do that in my own community. Of course, I was striving to do that. But every time you have another loss, every time the politicians strike 
down another plastic bill. It's disheartening. So I was definitely getting more and more pessimistic. And Bill 40 was just the proof saying, no, like it does not matter who you are. Even if you feel like you're facing the most insurmountable of barriers, these changes can happen in your community. They are possible. And when you have that collaboration that we had for Bill 40, not just with youth, but intergenerational collaboration, communities from all sides of the island, even people from outside of our island, outside the state and outside the country pitched in, you will get these victories. I want to actually talk about how you, you personally and how you got to that point, because if I'm not mistaken, you were possibly a little bit more shy than you, you are now. You know, if I'd asked you five years ago, you'd be standing in front of legislators trying to get bills passed. What would you, what would you have thought? What would you have said to that? Well, if you had told me five years ago, you would come up to my house, knock <laughs> on my door and said, hey, Dyson, you're going to be a politician five years from now, and you'll be doing presentations at schools and community events, and you're going to be passing legislation. I would have brought a bat to the door and told you to leave. <laughs> I, I would have been extreme. I, I would have never believed in all of my wildest dreams or worst nightmares that I would be here. And the reason why I also say, you know, worst nightmares is that I'm, I'm very introverted. Most people don't believe it when I tell them that, but I am extremely introverted. Even still, I was definitely the kind of kid who just kind of sat in the corner at events, didn't really want to talk with other people. It just made me feel really awkward and uncomfortable. So really, if we're, if we're asking ourselves where that change happened, I, I feel like the change happened partially at Ocean Hills Boot Camp. I still cringe when I think about the pitch I made at the first Ocean Heroes boot camp. Whoever is listening to this, if you want to go find that pitch, you're welcome to. I'm, <laughs> I'm not out to share this because it was very cringy. But yeah, just kind of thrusting myself out like that, moving outside of my comfort zone, it does feel awkward. But when you do it over and over again, that going outside your box becomes your new normal. And the reason why I do it, it all comes back to protecting the places that I love. And if it weren't for that love, I don't think I would have ever pushed myself to go outside the box. And so that's really where I think it's important for anyone who's listening to this to understand that if there's an issue you really, really care about and you really want to make a difference in there, as long as you have that emotional connection, to the problem. As long as there's something that you love that's at stake, you can really make a difference, um, not just in the lives of others, but to change your own personal life. And so that's kind of what's happened to me. So you could almost say that, you know, your passion has, would you say your passion has made you a better man almost? I would, I would say that, uh, certainly. That's incredible. Um, in doing good, you become better. I think that's one of the missing pieces from this puzzle particularly in a world where we're fed so many messages of selfishness and consumerism and materialism, when really doing good and being passionate and serving your passion and serving the world is almost the greatest gift that you can have because I can only imagine the feeling that you get when you pass that bill, you know, you take that forever and no one can take that kind of thing away from you. So passion ultimately just makes you a better person. So um, you've gone from 
being someone who didn't even want to talk to anybody to now you what you want to be a politician <laughs> uh, yes uh who had that happen <laughs> <laughs> well besides from loving the ocean i also loved history and military history and part of the things that come up in military history is that sometimes when people make tactical decisions put your troops there moving your tanks here Sometimes they're based off of political motivations. And pretty much in every history book I read, the soldiers who wrote those stories all basically blamed the political system, things that were done that were not tactically smart, but were politically smart. Those were the kinds of things that got people killed at, during those times. I grew up reading these kinds of books about people who had a fair amount of animosity towards politics and politicians. In Hawaii, we are a place where our civic engagement is horrid. We are actually dead bottom in the nation for people who come out and vote. So what do you think that is? Why do you think people have such low engagement in politics in general? I'm no expert in this, um, but from what I understand, there's a few issues. You know, if you're living on the island of Molokai, it's hard to access the capital, right? If you want to testify on some things, they have no virtual testifying. And so if you want to get engaged, you've got to cross an ocean to get there. And that's a physical barrier for getting engaged. There's also cultural barriers for people who aren't familiar with the history of Hawaii. Hawaii was turned into a state in the 1950s. But before that, it was a lot of people consider it to be a next by the United States. So especially for Native Hawaiians living here, a lot of them view the United States as an intruder. They feel that the United States, and rightfully so, I suppose, that the United States just took over Hawaii. Hawaii should not just be a state of the United States. We are unlawfully a part of the United States. And so because of that, they view the United States government here as illegitimate. And so they don't want to get involved with an illegitimate government. And economically, too, a lot of people you know, who are poor, they live further away from the capital, too. A lot of our trash actually goes and gets dumped in those communities. So you have these inequities that continue to prevent people from getting involved with government. Have you felt this kind of anger towards politics and politicians and the, and the idea of, of how the whole system works? Yeah, definitely. You could say as I hated politics. And so the message that was most important to me was that by being civically engaged, you can have a greater say in the issues that are occurring here. If there's something that you don't like, instead of complaining about it, do something about it. So you kind of saying if you wanted to deal with this sort of anger and hate and frustration towards the system or to politics in general, that you're actually going to have to partake in it. Exactly. I've noticed a lot more, an increasing amount of people in Hawaii are also trying to do that. And even just around the world, especially young people are just getting more and more engaged and they're realizing that civic engagement politics can be one of the best ways you can go mm -hmm. to take on a lot of these issues. Yeah, we will not be silenced. We will not be ignored. Our opinion matters and our ability to put our opinion out there is going to be the difference between getting 
getting Bill Forty pass and, and not. So, uh, yeah, I completely agree. Was this a process for you from an emotional standpoint? Yeah. Um, on one hand, there's disgust, there's hate, there's reluctance to change, changing my mindset, changing my lifestyle. On the other hand, there's emotions like love, love for the place that I live in, um, the desire to make it a better place for everyone. But I think eventually the positive emotions, those want out. That's great, man. So how far do you think you can take it? Are we, are we looking at the future, the future possible president one day? Would you, would you run? Would you do it? Oh, that's oh the goodness. big question. Cause president. we need you, man. <laughs> the president fishies need like you. a messy position. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, definitely what I want to do is just start out locally. I feel like the best way I can serve the people of Hawaii, I mean, how well can I serve the people of Hawaii if I'm spending my time in Washington, D.C.? And so that's just been some, that's, that's another qu question I've definitely um, been contemplating. And that's a question many of my friends and many people I've talked to have also pitched to me. Um, but for now, that's my train of thought. Well, I dare say, if you do decide to run, I'll definitely vote for you. <laughs> as, long, <laughs> as long as you make me vice president. Oh, I'm shotgun and vice president. Okay. I'm just, you heard it here first, guys, all right? Uh, so thank you for taking the time to, you know, to educate me and hopefully educating a lot of the Lonely Whale following. Seriously, man. No, Appreciate thank you so time. much, Patrice, for yeah, being an awesome facilitator for this. This has been a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you so much for everyone else from the Lonely Whale team for, yeah, being a pillar of support. Hey, listeners, just before you go, here's a quick ocean saving tip for you from our guest. One of the things that I always keep in mind when I'm, you know, taking on this issue of plastic pollution is that we're doing this not because we want to have a habitable planet, not because we want our kids to just be able to survive, but because we want to keep the places that we have beautiful. We want them to be the beautiful, amazing, and exciting places that we got to grow up in. That's just something to keep in mind every step of your way. 52 Hertz is a podcast from Lonely Whale. Our show is produced by Emma Riley and Mindy Raymaker, with writing from Kirsten Stringer and audio engineering by James Riley. Special thanks to Young Hero, Emmy Kane, Kendall Starkman, and Danny Whitty. Subscribe to 52 Hertz wherever you get your podcasts. I've been your host, Patrice Jones. Thanks for listening. Until next time, tune in to 52 Hertz and tune out plastic. Love what you're listening to? 52 Hertz is made possible by listener support like you. So go to lonelywell.org and support season two. And your donation helps amplify the voices of ocean advocates all around the world. Thank you.